When I was in high school, a lot of things happened. Some I can tell about, some I can't. But um, one I can is uh, shortly after we got our license and started driving, myself and a couple of friends would usually maybe at least once a month play this game where one of us would be blindfolded and the other two would drive a car somewhere, had to be inside Knox County. Somewhere in Knox County, and, and that hopefully the person would not know where they were, take the blindfold off, see if they could guess where they were. If they could, then the other two had to buy them a hamburger and a, and a, and a milkshake. If they couldn't, they had to buy the other two guys a hamburger and a milkshake. So <clears throat> my turn to be blindfolded, they, they took me to Fort Dickerson in South Knoxville and uh, took the blindfold, got me up there, took the blindfolds off. It was dusk, uh, getting darker. And I, you know, took the blindfold off. It looks like I'm in the Smoky Mountains somewhere. But I said, this is inside Knox County? Yes, inside Knox County. I'd never been up to Fort Dickerson before. One of them had. And uh, I heard a, rail, a train coming toward me on the other side of the river, the other side of Tennessee River. And I heard some traffic, quite a bit of traffic. And I figured, that's Chapman Highway. This is, and I, what gave it away is then a plane came over. About so you could throw a rock and hit it. I thought, okay, the only, the only airport I know around here is Island Home. I got to be in South Knoxville somewhere. So I started piecing things together and Fort Dickerson, Fort Dickerson. So they ended up buying me a hamburger and a milkshake. But I heard what gave it away was the tracks. And the reference from, from where the train was and in, in the, in the plane overhead, piecing that together. And I've been in those situations before where it seems like it probably you have too, where in life sometimes you're on the wrong place at the wrong time. You're on the wrong side of the tracks at the wrong moment, thinking, how did I get here and how do I get out of here with, with some semblance of grace or some semblance of understanding or some semblance of purpose to, to my being here. And so this story that we're going to read here from Joshua chapter 2, if you want to turn there, um, the story we're going to read picks up in, in, in chapter 2, uh, verses one through, uh, verse, verse 1 and then 14 to 21. I'll fill in the gaps there for you. This tells the story of the spies from, is, from the camp of Israel uh, going over to, to Jericho to spy out the land that they're about to invade and take over that God's about to give them. And so Joshua sends the spies over to to spy out the land, that's the story where we pick it up today. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim over to, look over the, uh, to go look over the land. And he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I'll drop down to verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the man asked, assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your own way. The men said to her, this oath you made to us, swear will not be binding to us unless we, we enter the land. You have tied this, <clears throat> excuse me, unless when we enter the land, you have tied, tied this 
scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside uh, your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. But as for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we're doing, we'll be, we will be released from the oath that you made us to, to, to swear to. Agree, she replied. Let it be said as you say. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now what happens in, in, in the middle of verse 1 down to verse 13 that we didn't look at is, is they're going in to spy out Jericho uh, for, for battle for the, for the nation of Israel to come and overtake it. And she, they, they go to the, to the house of Rahab, who's a prostitute, and they are found to enter there. Somebody's seen them going in. Someone from Jericho has seen them going in. They go to the king. Said, Listen, I think there's two Israelis here. I don't know why they're here, probably to spy out the land. But they went to the, to the house of Rahab, the prostitute. So they go over there to Rahab's house. Okay, where's these two guys? She's hid them up under some straw, under some things on the roof of her house, and disguises them there. Because she realizes who they are, why they're there, and she starts to piece two and two together to say, "They're in the wrong side of the they're on the wrong side of the tracks today." But when they invade, I'm going to end up on the wrong side of the tracks. I'm going to end up on the outside looking in. I better save these guys and protect them because I may need protection when they when they invade if they, if they'll give that to me and agree to that. So this this idea of, of how she uses in this story. Her window in her house is a form of deliverance. I think it's, it's pivotal. So as we look at Rahab's window, the first thing I think we see is this, that it was a lesson in commitment. Rahab's window was a lesson in commitment. Look at the phrase there in verse 14, which says, our lives for your lives, the ministry of her. Our lives for your lives. Now, these guys further define what that commitment means and looks like down in verse 16. You can read down in verse 16. They spell that out with a little more detail. But Rahab had already demonstrated her own commitment by hiding them out. And so this idea of their coming through for her is something she's depending on and, and is encouraged by. So uh, this, this, uh, this idea of her, her hiding them during the search is this idea of God hiding our sin. In fact, we're going to talk more about this as, as this lesson goes on today, how, how this is a picture of the cross. But this idea of God hiding our sin behind the cross. And so... Uh, his making a commitment to us, a covenant to us to say, your sin will be no more. I'll see your sin no more because of the blood of Christ at the cross. In essence, saying to us, his life for your life, his life for my life. As they said to her, our lives for your lives, Rahab. You, you save our life, we'll save yours. And so um, first question that comes today as a result of this is this. What have you committed to God to do or to be, to become? that's still out there. It's still hanging. What have you committed to him maybe as a teenager as a young adult, or as a medium adult, older adult, doesn't matter your age, what have you committed to him that you do? Perhaps during the time of crisis, most of us find ourselves committing to everything during the time of crisis because we want the crisis to go away. God, if you'll deliver me from this crisis, I will X. I'll fill in the blank. What have you committed to him to do that's still hanging out there? This, this idea of, of follow-through, we'll talk about just more a little bit in a, in a moment, but Rahab's life hung in the balance. And so... Her commitment to them to hide them out is returned by this commitment to, to, to save her when they come and invade. Uh, Rahab's life hung in the balance, 
And if ours don't, meaning if we already have a relationship with Jesus, then likely somebody around us lives, life hangs in the balance. Maybe a family member, maybe somebody we work with, a friend, some acquaintance, somebody in our neighborhood, a next door neighbor. If our life doesn't hang in the balance, meaning if we know Jesus, there's probably a ripple effect to the decisions we make hanging, uh, hanging someone else's life in the balance. Sometimes we're aware of, sometimes we're not. Uh, that's likely the case. Here's a question I want to ask you today to, to help kind of nail this idea of commitment down. Is your walk with Christ in pencil or in ink? Is it just penciled in, subject to change, subject to whatever happens, happens, and I'll, I'll adjust my relationship with God based on the circumstances of my life? Is it in pencil? Or have you inked some things in with him that regardless of what happens, regardless of circumstance, regardless of what comes your way, what you lose, what you gain, what you have, what you don't, where you go, where you aren't, where you live, what you wish you did, regardless of your circumstances, is your commitment to him in ink? And does he know that? Can he count on that? Or does our life seem to be one moment after another, thinking, he don't even listen to me anymore. He doesn't even hear my prayers anymore. He's, he's so unconcerned with my life anymore because I've let him down again. And again and again. I've committed this to him and I didn't follow through. Committed this to him. Still undone. Committed this. Committed my family. Committed my kids. Committed to pray. Committed to study his word. Committed to walk with him. Committed to, 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 to know him more intimately than I do now. And here I stand, just like I stood 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Another disappointment to him. That don't have to stay that way. Rahab recognized what she needed and responded to that by way of her commitment to them before they ever committed to her. I think that's pivotal. It's a lesson in commitment. Secondly, Rahab's window is not only a lesson in commitment, Rahab's window was a lesson in deliverance. Look at verse 15. So she let them down by a rope through the window from the house she, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She let them down by a rope through the window. Her window wasn't just a way out of the house, but a way out of the city. Now, Jericho, as, you, as, you, as, you, uh, as we see later, you sung the song in church growing up, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. The reason, the, wall, the reason that's the big story is the walls came tumbling down, they were likely estimated about six to eight feet thick, the outside walls of the city. And so she has a window in that wall. Her, her, the, a window in her house is actually a window into the outside wall of the city. That's never done, especially in a fortified wall. You never put a window in a fortified wall. It's a place of entry, a place that the, the, the enemy could penetrate. So question why was that window there? And why was there a rope in her house? Because God knew that day, before that day occurred, he saw that day before it, it ever occurred and placed them in her path, placed that window in, as, a, as a means of escape for them and a rope as well as a means of escape. This is clearly a picture of God's deliverance of us. And when he delivers us, he delivers us completely. He, he, he didn't leave a, leave a stone unturned. He didn't, didn't leave a circumstance undone. He provided for every need that they would have, and Rahab was a vehicle to meet those needs. He delivers us completely. There are instances in our life where deliverance is obvious, and then there are instances where we've got to look harder to see it. There are instances in life where you can see readily, man, God delivered me from that and from that situation and from this. And what I want you to to begin to think about today is if you the, the, the times of deliverance that you know you've seen God show up, how much more precious are the times you haven't seen him show up? That he's shown up, you've just never seen it because he showed up before you ever got there. 
and he provided provision before you ever stepped into that situation, into that relationship, into that job, into that whatever, whatever the blank may need to be filled in. He was already there ahead of you, opening this door, closing that one to prepare the way before you. And as I think through that in my own life, I think just the things that I've seen God deliver my life to and from makes me think, Sometimes I have those I have those moments, and you probably do too, where you think, well, if God did that, what did I miss? What has he done that I haven't seen? Where has he stepped in that I don't know about again and again and again? And his deliverance works that way. It is, it is complete. It is, it is never uh, empty, empty-ended. There, there are instances that we've seen, instances that we're not aware of. And sometimes that looks like an open door. Sometimes his deliverance looks like a closed door. That's his way. and his, 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 He's in the position to, to decide and determine those things, not us. And we need to trust him completely because of it. But notice with me here that their deliverance was based on her commitment. The deliverance of the spies was based on not their commitment, but the commitment of Rahab, a prostitute, putting their lives in her hands. Great, another great picture of the cross. Our deliverance at the cross is based on his commitment, not our own. Now, it's great if we're committed to him, and we should be. We need to walk with him. But our, our wholeness, our being held, our, our, our relationship is held intact by his commitment and not ours. And I'm glad that's true because it's based on my own, my, my commitment to God, and my relationship with him looks like this. Because commitment comes and goes, but his commitment is, is forever and complete and eternal. I'm glad our, our relationship's not based on us, but it's based on our Lord and the means in his word, meaning the promises in his word and the power and presence of his spirit as his, as his spirit is omnipresent with us and for us and in us and through us again and again and again. And as we lean on his spirit and we trust and understand and walk in, in the truth of his word, his deliverance becomes more real to us and it becomes less of a surprise and more of an expectation. And that's where God wants to take our relationship to where we see the supernatural, we see the deliverance of the hand of God, whether it's health, whether it's relationship, whether it's job, regardless of marriage, regardless of what's, what the situation is, when we see something supernatural happen for us and in us and around us, we tend to not be surprised by it as much. Why? Because we've, we've seen the hand of God before, and we know the hand of God is, is true and good and for our good always. And so as we start to walk in a place of deliverance and expect, expectation to see the things God is doing, it becomes less of, a, less of a surprise and more of a way of life for us as we see the supernatural. We tend to expect the supernatural. We tend to walk in the power of his word and live in the presence of his spirit. That's, that's what deliverance looks like. Thirdly, not only was her window a lesson in commitment, a lesson in deliverance, but thirdly, it was a lesson in provision. Rahab's window was a lesson in provision. Look at 17 and 18 with me. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless... When we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. Unless you've tied the scarlet cord in the window. They were pointing out that this commitment, this covenant, this promise of protection was a two-way street. You've protected us, and we'll protect you. But the cord's got to be in the window as a sign that it's safe for us to enter. As a, as a sign that it's safe for us to come in and rescue you and your family. Now, if your family's in your house, whoever's in your house gets rescued because the cord, that red cord hanging in the window, is a symbol to spare that house and spare everyone in it. So 
It's a picture of provision here that's going on. And God works with us that way uh, as well. He never forces himself on us. He gives us opportunity to voluntarily, by way of our own commitment, follow him. And that goes back to the garden. Uh, as I've said so many times before, the, the most dangerous thing and scariest thing that God ever did was give man a will, give man a, a, a reason, an opportunity to decide his own way. Because given that will, <clears throat> if you're like most of us, you screw it up more than you get it right. But he did that in the garden. He places Adam and Eve in the garden in a perfect environment among everything they could ever want or dream of or need. He says, all of that's yours. All of, all of these things are yours except that. All of these except that. Now here's your choice. What are you going to do? You know the story. They blew it. We're still blowing it today. Because we can't see <clears throat> the provisional hand of God to give us all the things we will ever need we're seeing the things we don't and chase after them and follow after them uh, to, uh, most of the time to our own demise. But the, the garden's a great picture of that. And here's the beauty of that, though, is they walked away from him in the garden and he never walked away from them. And we walk away from him often here in our life today, yet he never walks away from us. We, in fact, we can run away from him. He's still pursuing us on foot. Right, right, behind, right on our heels every time we, we walk or run, run away from him. So that provision is, is not only provisional, it's eternal as, 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 we, as he looks at our lives. And so that's, that's what provision looks like. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's frustrating. It's a hard lesson to learn. Every time Hannah and Philip put Henry in a car seat, he just, ah, I don't want this car seat. I don't want to be bound down. But they realize that his safety depends on being strapped in that car seat pretty tight. And it may, his life may depend on being strapped in. So those provisional things, you look beyond where it's convenient and comfort, comfortable and predictable and trust God to know better than we do. Sometimes it's frustrating because we can't see the end that he can see. He sees further than we do. And so in frustration, we, why are you putting me, why am I in this bind? Why are you not coming through for me? Why can I not see your hand more clearly than I do? And I hear him saying to us, oh, because I see further than you. I see things down the road you can't see today, that this prepares you for that. Trust me. Trust my hand and provision in your life. There's a <coughs> military term <coughs> excuse me, that's used often in the military. In fact, Leanne and I watch a show about every Wednesday night called SEAL Team. And it... it it's basically what you'd expect. The SEAL team goes to various parts of the world and rescues people or kills terrorists or whatever else. Whatever the SEAL team needs to be done. And there's this phrase that's often used in that show and many, many other military shows like, got your six. And that phrase literally means, I got your back. Don't worry. You, you forge ahead. Somebody comes behind you. I've got that. I'm taking care of that. This, is a, this cord in the window is this provisional way to say, I got you six. I'm taking care of you. The, the, the provision that you're counting on will be, be the, the, the deliverance that you expect. Uh, we're, in fact, God's called each of us in the body of Christ to have each other six. And I wonder how effectively we, we do that in the church. In fact, I wonder how effectively we do, we do that at all. Sometimes even in our own family, hanging each other out to dry. But I wonder if in the body of Christ we have each other six, like God's designed for us to. I wonder if, if, as people look outside the church, outside the kingdom, to, to, to an inside view, I wonder if they see a folk so tight-knit and, and relationships that are so of such, such a bind 
or such a bond. They wonder how in the world can they love each other that deeply? How can they care for each other and walk through life and, and cover each other's hurts and bear each other's burdens and, and help each other through hard places? How can they do that so willingly and so effectively and so de- deeply? Well, it's because the bond we share together with Jesus Christ. But I wonder if that's what this world sees as they look from the outside in on the kingdom. I wonder if they see folks who have each other's six, who have each other regardless of what the circumstances and the situation say that they should or not. So if we, if we walk and say we walk with each other, is that what our relationships look like? Is that what your marriage looks like? Is that what your relationship with folks at work, with your friends? Is that what, what that looks like? Is there a sense of, is there a sense of, I've, I've got you. Fall. Go ahead, I've got you as you fall. I wonder if there's, there's that sense in us and around us, if that's what we, uh, if that's what permeates our life together. Finally, not only was Rahab's window a lesson in commitment, a lesson in deliverance and provision, but fourthly, it was a lesson in follow-through. Her window was a lesson in follow-through. Look at verse 21 with me. It says, It's agreed, she replied, that it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. She tied the scarlet cord in the window. A football pass, a baseball pitch, a basketball shot, a tennis swing. The effectiveness of all those things depends on one thing, follow through. A football pass, a baseball pitch, a baseball swing, a tennis swing. No follow through. That the desired execution is probably going to be left short or off off uh, off course. Follow through is extremely important not only in sports but in life. There, Rahab, she's going to decide. Well, I'm going to get around to that. I'll get around to getting that cord in the window. I'll tie it in there because I know my life and my family's life depends on. It. I'm going to get around to it, not knowing how many days it would be before they come to invade in the first place. She probably had a pretty good window of time. I'm going to get around to that. I believe the implication of this verse is she did this immediately. I believe that this verse implies that she tied the cord in the window as soon as they were out of it and down the wall, knowing that her life and her family's life depended on it. I believe there was immediate and in this moment response that she had. The obvious lesson here is to not put off until tomorrow what God calls us and gives us opportunity to do today. As I asked you earlier, what commitments have you made to him that are still hanging out there, that are still undone? I would say it's time to follow through on those commitments. If God is urging and impressing your heart today, the Holy Spirit is saying, remember this? Remember this? Remember this promise? Remember this circumstance? If God is bringing those things to your mind today, today is the day to begin following through with those. Today is the day to say, okay, if, if, if this is what you're leading me to do, today is the day that I'm going to respond to that and begin this process of what that commitment that I made to you looks like, as it applies to me at least. Uh, her life and the life of her family depended on that single scarlet cord tied in her window. And she knew it, and I believe responded to it immediately. Followed through with it to say, the cord's in the window, my life's protected, my family's life is protected. It's not, and it isn't. It's, it's, it's that simple. It was a symbol of her, her life and uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes our families' lives look like that as well. I, I think oftentimes in church or at work, we'll say or hear someone say, "I think we need to, or, we need to such and such," which oftentimes literally translated means, "I think somebody else needs to such and such." 
uh, as we find ourselves further invested in, in the things that matter in our lives, and that's, that's our own decisions, it's what matter to us and what don't. The things that matter uh, should have our own follow-through. They should have the investment of our time, our best, in fact. Things that, it, that we are committed to that matter to us, those are things, and, and they should just be a few things. You, you shouldn't have 35 things that matter to you deeply, but you should at least have maybe a couple of three. And those things that matter to you deeply, they should, we should see and experience it and, and even relish and follow through to say, God did that through me. He accomplished that as a result of my obedience to him. My commitment looks like this. looks like things invested in her life. His, his life is deeper and closer to Christ because of my prayers for him, my encouragement to him. Her life is... And as we start to tell those stories and, and those relational markers start to pile up in our lives, we can start to see follow-through matters. It matters in my life, and it's mattered in their life too. I could have dropped that ball and let it go, but didn't. And it mattered to them, and it should matter to me too. Uh, if if follow through is is already a struggle with you, I would I would submit to you that's going to ripple into your marriage. It's going to ripple into your job. It's going to ripple into your friendships. A lack of follow through, everybody suffers. Not just the kingdom, people around us suffer. So my question today is: Is that a need for you? Is God kind of pricking at your heart today to say, "Come on, let, let, let's let's go to a deeper. Let, let's get get out of the shallow end and get in deeper water where you've committed to go." Years and years ago, but you're still in the shallow end, still walking in the, in the, in the places you've known and the things that you've stood comfortable with for years and years and years. And, and let's move into deeper water. And sometimes doing that requires us to say no to some things in order that we can say yes to him. Maybe even good things in order that we can say yes to him. See, seeing, seeing the things that we need to say no to depends on the leadership and prodding and, and purpose of his spirit. If we're not walking in his spirit, we'll, we'll not know which to say no to and which to say yes to. That's the challenge many believers face almost daily. This is a good thing, but is, is this God's thing for me? Learning when to say no and yes is pivotal because saying no to this may open up a whole door over here that we could never see until we close this one. And that's, that's, it's hard to, to see and get sometimes, but, but as we walk in God and in his spirit with, with, with follow through, it's easier, far easier to see as we see the process of how God works around us, or, and in us at least, as well as around us. Well, a couple of things as we close. And that's this obvious observation. From Rahab's window, from her window, you could clearly see the cross. She could. It looked like deliverance to her. The scarlet cord in the window, the window itself. Not only was deliverance to the spies, it was deliverance to her and her own family. And so, as I, as I think on those things of how these two things kind of symbolically come together, the risk and the, and the sacrifice of hiding them was hers. You look at the cross. The risk and the sacrifice of Jesus hiding our sin behind himself is his, not ours. He took all the risk upon himself. In the window rescuing them from being in the wrong place at the wrong time, Jesus rescues us from our sin at the cross every time, all the time. This, this color of the scarlet cord is not accidental either. It represents and is symbolic of the blood of Christ, which the scripture says, which the scripture says cleanses us. From all, it's the blood that cleans us. It's not, not anything else but his blood that cleanses us. In the follow-through of Joshua sparing the lives of Rahab and her family, uh, that's what happens if you read ahead in chapter 6, as they invade, Rahab is spared and her family is spared. In that follow-through, <clears throat> Joshua is a type of Christ just as Jesus spares our lives from what is 
surely hell for us, what is surely condemnation for us, what is surely actually what we deserve, yet not what we receive. His sparing our lives is his work, not ours. It was Joshua's work, not, not Rahab's. And it's the work of Christ to spare us. Here's a question I want to close with. Just as her window was a, was a window to give, to give us a picture of the cross, is the window of your life, does it point to that same cross? As you look out the window of your life, can you see that same cross? Do people, as they look at your life, see those same things? Do they see this same sense of follow-through? Do they see this same sense of provision? Do they see the same sense of commitment? Do they see those things consistently in your life that look, and look like and point to Christ? If they see those things, you know what? They're going to want to follow after them. They're desirable things. Why? Because most of us are just kind of wandering through life, figuring out or trying to figure out, is this it? Have I found it? And if I've found it, is this all there is? And the answer to that is again and again, no, it isn't. And it never has designed to be. God has more for us than we've experienced and we'll ever see. And those, that living with that kind of confidence and walking with that kind of commitment and follow through is contagious to those around us. We need to recognize that and walk in that intentionally. Does, you, does the window of your life point to the, to the same cross that Rahab's going to point to? It needs to. That scarlet cord that runs through your life that says the blood of Christ cleansed me from sin. Why am I walking around in guilt today? God doesn't do guilt. That's the enemy. That was cleansed at the cross of the blood of Christ. That scarlet, scarlet cord that's hanging in the window of my life that needs to remind me of that every day. I've been cleansed from my sin. I no longer carry the guilt of it. If there's guilt in my life, it's because I'm choosing to let it there. I'm choosing to listen to the enemy instead of what God says again and again. This window was symbolic of the cross. Does the window of our life point others to the cross? And is it obvious to see when they're there? That's God-like. That isn't like them. In fact, that isn't like anybody I know. That must be God-like. The window of our lives point to those kinds of things through us, in us, and around us. Well, they should. We're going to pray in a moment. And after we pray, Leanne's going to come play a song. And I probably don't make reference to this enough and invite, the, you know, invite you to do this enough, but you're welcome to come and pray about whatever God lays on your heart during that time or any time. Heck, you're welcome to come and pray during a message if you'd like, if God lays it on your heart to do so. But Find yourself today in a position of obedience to where we say, you know what? I've got a commitment problem. I've got a provision problem. I've got, a fo- I've got some problems on follow-through. My life isn't what God's designed for it to be. That needs to change. I need to follow through with him on some things that I've some promises made years ago that are still left undone. And my life doesn't, doesn't point to the window of my life doesn't point to the cross very well, but God's shown me today that it needs to. His provision, his rescue, his deliverance are there waiting for me if it does. Let's pray.